0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Our desire is to honor and share the best parts of the Christian contemplative traditions so that this collective wisdom might serve the flourishing of humanity, all beings, and all of creation. My name is Ben Kesey, and I lead the development team at the Center for Action and Contemplation. I want to thank all of you who are generous donors, giving freely and cheerfully to make this work possible. If you've been impacted by these podcast conversations and are inspired to invest in the future of CAC's mission and work, twice per year, we invite your financial support. To contribute, go to cac.org slash donate to make a gift. Thank you so much. Greetings, everyone. Um... Th- this morning, uh, there was a, a prayer service with the uh, Center for Action and Contemplation with Richard Rohr, the staff, and some extended members of CAC. And I was asked to share a brief homily as part of that prayer service. And uh, Kirsten uh, called me afterwards and thought it would be good to, uh, to send it out on the Turning to Mystics podcast today on Good Friday. So uh, I'll do that. That's a great idea. Uh, it just takes around 10 minutes. And at the end of the service, what I'll do the, of the homily, um, I'll invite us to sit straight, we'll ring the bell once, and uh, we'll bow and just sit together in silence just for a couple minutes. And then I'll ring the bell again and we'll bow. And that'll be the end. So this is a brief uh, kind of contemplative homily. And the, the text is the Gospel of Matthew. It's uh, one of Jesus' words from the cross, um, my God, My God, why has Thou forsaken me? So, in the prayer service today, um, there was a, a liturgy of lamentation, in which it was changed to, "Our God, Our God, why have You forsaken us? Why are we? Why do You leave us forsaken?" And um, so, I'd like to explore that. This. So I'll begin by saying that Jesus, my God, my God, why have have you forsaken me, that uh, he's quoting Psalm 23. And when you read Psalm 23, when you read the psalm, the psalm is really a prayer of hope and faith in God that eventually, ultimately speaking, uh, I I know um, that your love will be victorious uh, over all forms of suffering and death. But for right now, I'm still in the midst of uh, my pain and I'm, I'm unraveling here. So the prayer is a very human cry, you know, of um, being forsaken, feeling forsaken in the presence of God. So I'd like to, in this homily, uh, uh, trace out the path of human experience along which we come to moments that were forsaken so that we can see how Jesus is one with us in our forsaken moments and sustains us in our forsaken moments. So with that in mind, I will begin. I begin, the path begins uh, in infancy, this path that leads to the forsaken moment. And it begins when, if we're born fortunate enough, into a loving family, a loving father and mother, uh, we emerge in this world in reflective consciousness uh, in our parents' gaze, and um, and we emerge in the awareness that they see in us a preciousness or a value that cannot be calculated. That they see that they're that they're smitten by us. our precious presence and of their gratitude that we're in their midst and as that love goes on and we keep internalizing that love that then becomes our basic sense of self-esteem it becomes our basic sense that i matter my life counts my life is worth saving i'm loved because i'm lovable that kind of quiet confidence in the essential goodness of ourselves as a human being. And when we're then led by our parents into faith, it's very easy then to believe that God loves us because we experience God's love for us incarnate and our parents' love for us. And so there's a kind of a natural uh, na- affinity or a natural trust uh, in God as a loving presence incarnate in the loving presence of our parents in which becomes incarnate in our loving presence to ourself then life is such that as we go on uh, we're in situations where we're with people who who are, are not loving towards us they, they they were invisible in their eyes and and uh, Uh, and not seeing that we matter, not seeing that we're precious, and not seeing that we're worthy to be loved. Uh, They are uh, hurtful towards us, or perhaps sometimes even cruel towards us. What makes it worse is that they they treat us in these cruel, hurtful, destructive ways, and they show no remorse. That is, they're not aware of us, as a person, but they're not aware that they're not aware of us, that that, uh, they 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 seem to have no problem being cruel and hurtful to us. It extends even more when we start to see that they're also cruel to people who look like us, which is the basis of racial prejudice, where they're cruel also to to those who uh, believe what we believe or uh, they're cruel to us, to all of us, who, in terms of our, all those who share the sexual orientation that we have. Any areas where we are not part of the dominant power culture and are seen by the dominant power culture to be at the fringe, we're estranged and exiled and individually and collectively treated in these cruel and hurtful patterns and ways. And it's in this sense, then, <clears throat> that it takes a toll on us. And it's in this sense that we feel forsaken. See, uh, that we, we, we feel forsaken. And uh, we cry out to God, see, why, why are you letting this happen? See, why is this letting this happen? How, why do you delay in coming to my rescue? See, why, even broader, why do you let the world go on like this with so much darkness in it? And uh, I know, ultimately speaking, of your, all, your love will be victorious. The lion will lie down with the lamb, and I believe that. But I'm wearing down here. I'm wearing out. I've come to the end of my rope, and there I cry out to God in this forsaken state, in this circumstance, this unloving Hurtful circumstance that I'm in. It gets even worse when it soaks into us and we forsake ourself. It so gets to us that we're, we're, we're in a traumatizing stance towards ourself. We start believing it ourselves and deep feelings of shame about ourselves, or deep feelings of like doubting our worth or our value. It worsens. And uh, So, Jesus is on the cross, and he he cries out like this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only notice he takes it a bit further. He then extends it to God forsaking him. I think uh, in society, uh, we tend to be uh, polite in our language with God and with each other. But say in a really intimate relationship with family or in a marriage, um, it's. We've, it feels safe to let the primitive energies come out to the beloved, like it's just safe to be real with them like that. And so he's being very real with God. He's so intimate with God. That he's letting God, why are you doing this to me? Eli Weissel in, in, in night, and then being in the concentration camps, tells the story where the Jews in the camps Um, They put God on trial for the Holocaust, and they found God guilty. So here is this uh, predicament then, Uh, see, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the hour of darkness where everything seems lost? And this is in the path that leads to the point where we can see that Jesus is one with us in our forsaken state because in the crying out in this way from the cross, he's, he's, he is in his, in his humanity, is a sharing in the forsaken state of the human experience. We're not alone in it, God's with us as one in his humanity, our humanity, as forsaken. But still with hope, and still praying to God, notice he says, my God, my God. There's still the intimacy is there, the hope is there. But it's one as one left in this forsaken state. Notice, not only does Jesus reveal us to ourself in relationship to God, but also in this story, God's revealed to us. Because notice, he cries out like this to God. I think this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus asked God a question. I think so. And notice in asking God this cry from his heart, see, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice that God is silent. God doesn't say a word. Nor does God come in at the last moment to rescue Jesus. Jesus dies this way. And he hands himself over to God. Into your hands I commend my spirit. He hands himself over into the infinitely trustworthy uh, depths of god in whose presence and anguish he felt so forsaken it's so paradoxical and uh, so mysterious so deep i think so this is why i say then in the light of passages like this that god is a presence that protects us from nothing even as God unexplainably sustains us in all things. That the cross is the revelation. That whatever it means that God takes care of us, it does not mean God takes care of us as in preventing the cruel thing, the unfair thing, the hurtful thing, the destructive thing from happening. There was a nun that I saw years ago in spiritual direction and she once said to me, there's a place where the depths of God The depths of our soul and the depths of hell are one. They converge there, and and this is that place. Now, the thing is this, I think. If 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 we go through this, through this fire, and we come out the other side, it's very risky because we can come out bitter. See, we can come away having lost our faith, which is understandable, that happens. But what can also happen right away or in time with the grace of God is we come away awakened. We come away awakened. That in the hour where everything was lost, there is the presence of God in me that was never, is never, and never will be lost. And once I know that, once I experience that, What it does, it empowers me or moves me and sensitizes me to be responsive to those around me who are forsaken. We can see it in that look in their eyes, in the tone of their voice. And we're moved to join them or walk with them to let them know that they're not alone in their forsaken state. And we do so in a peace It's not dependent on the outcome of our efforts. For it's the peace of God on which everything depends. And I think this is our Christ presence in the world. This is our Christ presence in the world. Another uh, insight here about the crucifixion of Jesus, looked at in this contemplative way, is notice in another passage, Jesus is dying there on the cross, and one of the thieves being crucified with him turns. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And with a kind of a sovereign, unquestioning serenity, like the authority of infinite love itself, Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And uh, then, and the same Jesus who spoke that way with such serenity is the one who cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Jesus who cries out, why have you forsaken me? Is the Jesus into your hands I come in, my spirit handing him over, uh, self over into God in, in, in his death. In which the light of the rex- re- resurrection shines is the deathless presence of Jesus, uh, bearing witness to our own deathless presence in God's love. And so I think the lesson here, something to consider, is that we're all of this. There are moments of prayer. There are moments of quiet serenity where we're kind of um, subtly established in the sovereignty of God's love for us. There's moments where someone turns to us for help. And with God's grace, we respond to offer whatever help we can. There are certain moments where we ourselves are unraveling and crying out because we're just a human being. And we do so trusting that when the hour of our death comes, we will hand ourselves over into this love, into this infinite love. And uh, so as a final thought then, is what does tomorrow hold in the light of this? See, the unforeseeability of all the days that are left to us on this earth. See, what's that look like from this point of view? And my thought is, if we look back over history, too, it's going to be more of the same. It's always been this way. It's always been this way. And um, uh, if, we, if we sit with it in kind of contemplative clarity or infinite tenderheartedness toward the mystery of all of this, we, we, we can look out at the world and see it as a kind of symphonic cacophony, that there's a, there is this ongoing endless brokenness and crying and all, all the rest of it in a certain kind of symphonic, harmonious mystery of being sustained by the presence that sustains us so unexplainably, breath by breath by breath, and moving us so to be responsive to one another and to ourselves as best we can with uh, childlike uh, confidence. And so the light of the resurrection then already shines in our life in sensing that the, everything unresolved in our heart uh, is trustworthy. Everything um, that we, we can't figure out how we're going to get past it, we're already being sustained by God uh, in the unforeseeability of how that might turn out. And this is a confidence that can quietly grow in us day by day by day by day. And uh, when it heats up, we lose it. We just lose it. But also we know we're having an episode. We're just a human being. And we can cry out to God, get regrounded in God, and come out the other side. And every time that happens, we get a little wiser, a little more patient, a little more humble. And I think this is the path. This is kind of the depth dimension of discipleship. So, with that, then, let's end with a brief sitting. And what I want to do here is just invite you to sit straight and bow. And uh, I'll ring the bell once, and we'll sit in silence for just maybe two minutes. And then um, I'll ring the bell again, and we'll bow. So, I invite you to sit straight, fold your hands in prayer, and bow.